And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Greetings, everybody. It is time. We are back. Another installment of J.C. and Morgan. He's J.C. Sherbert, and he's been busy. More busy uh, than usual at 24-7 Sports and TheBigSpur.com. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network. Uh, we've both been busy in uh, different ways, and we apologize for the uh, the little respite there. Uh, a number of things have uh, gone on. The last time we were on was around the time that I was calling a brawl between uh, Florida and Missouri on a Saturday night, and uh, I've got that same Missouri team this weekend in Columbia uh, in the, the Governor's Cup. Yeah. can throw away the records. I don't know. I mean, some people call it the Governor's Cup. Some some people call it the Columbia Cup. But yeah, so <laughs> yeah, it's a cup of some kind. You get a trophy, man. You get a trophy. You get a trophy, and that's really what it's all about. That's what we're competing for here. We might get a trophy if we do good on this podcast. We got a lot of things to tackle. Uh, you know, there's a lot of big picture stuff. Of course, uh, we have uh, 15 more games that are either postponed or canceled. We're running out of real estate on the calendar, obviously. Uh, you know, we've said before, the SEC had the most well-thought-out plan to start at the right time, leave yourself wiggle room for the inevitable uh, games that would have to be put off. And, and that has so far worked rather smoothly. Last weekend was kind of their, you know, Armageddon week, if you will, with four games off the books and there's still a chance to have every one of them made up if they can do some creative um, schedule making toward the end. But as we all know, in in the case of the big 10, which had another one uh, just uh, get actually canceled. And I hate when people misuse that term. If a game is, is put off for another weekend, that's not canceled. That's postponed. But in the case of the big 10, there is no other weekends because the, of the way they ran things uh, with their first-year commissioner. So when a, when a game can't be played, it's literally canceled. There is just nowhere else to put it. So Maryland-Michigan State is completely canceled. But as our buddy Cole Kublik, who was on our podcast uh, months ago when we were pretty guest-heavy, uh, puts out on Twitter, and I love this, because it's so counter to the same, I don't want to go into this ad nauseum, the, the same handful of national writers who uh, just can't wait to tell you when something goes wrong during this season, because in their mind and their eyes, they don't think it ever should have been played. And even though it looks completely wrong uh, and, and narrow-minded now, they're not going to, certainly not going to admit that and come off their, their stance. Uh, but Cole points out 406 scheduled games with FBS teams have been played this year. And when you think about it and you think of everything that's gone on and is going on, uh, that is a major kudos to the people running uh, the sport in some facets, the people running certain conferences and certainly to the players and coaches who are out there in spite of everything and want to participate and are doing so. So happy to report that there's talk about the PAC 12 and uh, the possibility of finding games in other leagues, uh, perhaps BYU just sitting right out there. There's that talk. 
And JC will probably uh, spend a great deal of time on a subject that I know you're following closely. And I think all of us in the SEC uh, follow closely. And that is when a coach gets fired, it causes a shakeup, not just for that one particular program, but sometimes the ripple effect goes beyond that. And of course, I'm referring to South Carolina parting ways with Will Muschamp in his fifth year. Uh, they had forced in the last three games, three punts, three punts in the last three games, giving up 50 burgers left and right. You don't bring in Will Muschamp uh, because of his offensive genius. Uh, you bring him in because he's a guy that uh, has had a reputation everywhere he's been of doing great things defensively. Unfortunately, after the second or third year of the program, those great things on that side of the ball uh, faded away. And so too does his memory in Columbia. Yeah. And look, things were not trending in the right direction. You know, it's the same thing with the whole entire Will Muschamp era at South Carolina, uh, one step forward, two steps back. Um, you know, you, you you had an zero and two start where the, I think I think they were competitive. Uh, looking at the Tennessee game, I think you know Carolina is probably a better team than Tennessee. They just made mistakes and lost. Uh, they played Florida, probably a little bit tougher than a lot of teams that played the Gators this year. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of before Brian Johnson and Dan Mullen got in the zone play calling. I mean, they're crazy good right now. Um, and, and then the Vandy game, whatever, that's an exhibition basically this year. And then they beat Auburn, you know, and, and that gave a lot of people a lot of hope. And you go to LSU, who had, which had struggled mightily uh, all year, um, and you get thumped 52-24. I mean, LSU was one of five teams at the time in the country that had not averaged 100 yards rushing per game, and the Gamecocks gave up 261. Uh, the A&M game wasn't even competitive. Uh, you go to Ole Miss and, and Mike Bobo, uh, who's doing it with duct tape and bubble gum and spit, you know, devises a pretty good old school game plan to kind of score points. And, you know, you, you just have zero chance of stopping Lane Kiffin's offense. And, you know, the, then the embarrassing thing when – and it wasn't embarrassing for Ole Miss or Lane Kiffin. It was embarrassing for South Carolina when – you know, Lane Kiffin's team throws a 90-yard touchdown and he tosses his clipboard in the air and that clip goes viral. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was just a, it was a breaking point. I mean, you know, I think at some point when you go to make a change, you have to ask yourself, where is the hope? Um, and South Carolina's fan base lost hope last year, most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ray Tanner elected to, to stick with it. But, you know, at that point, things had just come to a head. I'm somewhat shocked that they – they punted him and told him just to get out, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, of the building. And, and maybe that was his decision not to coach out the year. I know he coached out the year at Florida after being fired. But, you know, I was a little bit surprised they went the interim route. But, uh, you know, th- this is something that since the A&M game uh, behind the scenes it had been brewing. And, and I know you heard it and I heard it both uh, from different sources that, they were getting together and making a change. And, yeah. you know, I think as far as South Carolina is concerned, you know, th- what this does is th- this makes a statement that, look, South Carolina, say what you want about that program. Um, you know, they're not just going to sit around and use COVID as an excuse or money as an excuse or whatever, uh, you know, to, I guess, deviate from their commitment to having a winning football program. Now, I don't know that the new coach will win at South Carolina. It's a a good job, but it's a hard job. 
Uh, but, but I think that that made a statement that said, look, you know, we're not just going to sit around here and use excuses and continue to get our brains beat in. We're better than that. Um, and, and so I think that, uh, you know, the right move was made, you know, Carolina's athletic director, Ray Tanner takes a lot of heat. Um, you know, and I think most people that are his critics didn't feel like he, he was, if they get fog. Every time somebody like criticizes Ray Tanner around South Carolina, I picture him talking in a foghorn leghorn voice. Well, I, <laughs> Ray Tanner, uh, he does not have the guts, uh, to make this move right now. He, he will just let him coach and, you know, and no, nah, it didn't happen. You know, Ray Tanner does not deserve the right, I say, to to hire the next football coach, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Ray stepped up, and, you know, that's what athletic directors do. And, uh, you know, all these people, Chris Fowler, I know, tweeted something that said South Carolina fans need to lower their expectations. Well, I understand that. I understand that, you know, you, you and I have talked about this. You know, you don't just sit there and go, well, one time we were 11 and two. So we need to be this good. If you're a fan, um, because it's, it, it is cyclical, even a program as good as Auburn, Mike fluctuates between eight and 11 wins, right. you know, and they have a lot of eight win seasons, you know, it's the sec. Uh, but I think what gets lost on certain folks is, you know, <laughs> South Carolina had lost 16 of its last 24 games, including, a loss to a, a group of five team, a loss to North Carolina for the first time in, since 1991. About the only thing they did not do, Mike, during that stretch is lose to Vanderbilt. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, you know, when you're losing two-thirds of your games, I mean, that those aren't the expectations of South Carolina. And, you know, they're really outside of Vanderbilt. Shouldn't be the expectations anywhere in the SEC. Um, so so it had, it had reached the worst point wins and loss record-wise since 1997 to 99 when the Gamecocks lost 24 out of 25 games. It was that bad. And I don't think Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier and all their players and all their staff members for 16 and a half years worked that hard to raise the level of the program and all the money they've spent on that program, you know, to lose two thirds of the time. I mean, that's, that's just, that's insane. Um, And so I thought they made the right move. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, people can say what they want. I, I don't think that this was like, you know, a program having unrealistic expectations. I think this is a program that had a baseline minimum standard that was not being met. Yeah. I don't think anybody would argue uh, with the move. And as you pointed out, you know, some people would have asked for it uh, last year. I, I mean, I thought will deserved another year. I, I thought uh, let's see another shot new offensive coordinator. Uh, let's see if they can turn it around. And, and obviously this is a, just a weird year all around period. Um, so it's, it's so hard to make crucial, crucial judgments in 2020, but in this particular case, this is not just about 2020. It's, it's a cumulative decision based on what's happened really the last couple of years and where it was trending and it was trending in the wrong direction. I'll go back. Um, and full disclosure, you and I have a lot of sources down there. I know a lot of people, um, in that program still to this day from, from my time there. Uh, and I hear so much misinformation that is spewed out by various people. I mean, you got one guy who calls the fine bomb show every day just to, to rip the AD. And I, I realize most fans don't even know the ADs of any other school other than their own. 
and they really um, don't necessarily know what an AD does. You know, it, it's it's not like the NFL. It's not like being the GM and CEO of an NFL team. Everything operates differently in college. Um, so go back to I've said this multiple times. I've never gotten a good answer from those that thought the Will Muschamp hire was terrible. In 2020 hindsight, look, it didn't work. So like most programs, and we'll go over this in a minute because I've got a larger point that, that pertains to the SEC as a whole. Uh, when it doesn't work out, you fire the guy in four or five years and you hit the reset button like every other program is doing. Unless you're Alabama, Nick Saban. This is the light. What's the, the light in Godfather 3? This, this is the, the life we chose. It's the life, life we chose. That's the life we chose. There you go. And one of the few... That is Godfather Three, right? Yeah, that's yeah. I did the Marlon Brando when he, but he was talking about uh, at the end. He's like, Michael, I didn't want this life for you. But yeah, it's it's uh, Godfather it's Three. The worst of the Godfathers. I mean, one oh, and two ter- are- terrible. They're remaking that. Did you? Just as an aside, they're they're at Ford Coppola. I did see that they're remaking yeah. it, and and there, there's some cuts and stuff to make it a better yeah. movie. So well, my fir- my first piece of advice would be completely cut his daughter out of the film. Awful. Um <laughs> but but this is again and Alabama went through it with you know Mike DeBose and Mike Shula and they had Mike Price before a, a stripper in the panhandle uh had a rolling baby and I mean they they everything they stepped on turned into anything but gold and then finally they got Nick Saban and the rest is history but nobody else has that kind of continuity we, we use the word angst a lot on this podcast. Look around the SEC. There's a hell of a lot of angst again. You know, we are, we are in the final stretch of the regular season and find for me, how many programs are in love with their coaches in the Southeastern conference? Not a whole heck of a lot. So this is happening. I mean, this is, this is the life we chose. You hire a coach. And at that time, Kirby smart looked to be as good as gotten for the Gamecocks and Georgia saw that and said, we can't have that happen. Fired Rick and went ahead and got the guy who no doubt was going to choose his alma mater over South Carolina. And that changed the tide of a lot of different things. Of course, now Georgia fans around here, I'm in Atlanta, as you know, uh, all they can do is, is question how do we not have a passing game worth a damn in the last three years at a place like Georgia. And they lost that game to Florida I think I read a stat where they had something like 12 more five stars in the Gators and eight more four stars in the Gators. So we know Kirby's beating Florida in recruiting, uh, but they didn't look like the better team on Saturday in Jacksonville. So there, so Kirby's getting heat Orgeron at LSU's getting heat. Gus Malzahn. Come on. You knew eventually <laughs> happened. he's getting heat. Uh, nobody talks about Vanderbilt, but for obvious reasons, uh, Mason is, is getting heat. And we already had four coaches just fired last year. Otherwise, we'd be talking about all of them getting heat in those particular uh, spots. So you, when, when everybody else was off the board and Tom Herman, who was the most highly coveted free agent coach, I think maybe uh, in the last 20 years, like everybody wanted him and thought they could get him. Like everybody wants Urban Meyer, but if uh, reality check, most of you that think you can get Urban Meyer simply can't. And a program like Tennessee, speaking of a, a, a situation angst, 
Jer- the, the Jeremy Pruitt parade is, is, has run out, and now they want to see if they can make a move in Knoxville. And that whole hiring process, they, they had to deal with reality of, well, we want this guy, and we're Tennessee, and you don't get him. Well, we want this guy, and we're Tennessee, and you don't get him. And it just went on and on and on and on. Well, South Carolina went for a guy that had some credentials, and sometimes the second go-around does work. It didn't in the case of Will Muschamp. But I would ask you, if you second-guess the hire so much, who would you have gone with at that point in time? Who was available that was going to take the South Carolina job? Okay, so now you hit the reset button five years later. I think the difference between this go-round for Ray Tanner and company is there are more good candidates out there that are actually willing to accept your job. And I'm not talking Urban Meyer and I'm not talking Bob Stoops. So once you get off that cloud nine and get back to reality, when you look at the candidates that are out there, and we've talked about a couple of them before, we've talked about Billy Napier on this podcast before. Uh, it, It didn't take long for simple minded folks like me to connect some dots and say, hmm, if that job does come open in Columbia, he'd be a heck of a candidate. Obviously, Hugh Freeze is becoming a big name, but there's, that's complicated for a number of reasons we'll get into. Uh, there's Coach Beamer, who I know you know very well. But the bottom line is, I think they're going to get a guy that the fan base will feel very good about. And does it mean five years later we might not be talking about the same thing? Who knows? Like every other job in the SEC not named Alabama and Saban, it's a crapshoot. But don't tell me Ray Tanner is not qualified to make the hire or Ray Tanner doesn't know what he's doing. You could actually be a successful coach and still know how to be an AD. These other ADs, many of them are nothing more than glorified fundraisers. And all they do when a coaching vacancy comes up in their infinite wisdom, they hire a search firm. They spend whatever it is, $50,000, and that search firm gives them a name of uh, a list of three, four names, and then combined with members of the board and maybe the school president, they make a hire. They're not brilliant. They're not geniuses. I mean, very few ADs make that significant of an impact. And I'll leave you one last example, and then I'll shut up. Would you say Jeremy Foley had a pretty good rep as an AD during his tenure at Florida? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can make the case for a while there. He was the golden standard of the SEC ADs. You find for me another AD in the Southeastern Conference in the 1990s and early 2000s that had more cachet than Jeremy Foley. Jeremy Foley made some good hires. Okay, he did. He's responsible for getting Urban Meyer to Florida. Now, I would contend that Urban Meyer wasn't going to go many places anyway. Did Jeremy Foley just charm him over a nice steak dinner in Gainesville, which I'm trying to think of where you can get a nice steak dinner in Gainesville. Um, Or did Jeremy Foley realize, excuse me, did Urban Meyer realize, well, shoot, I mean, there's a lot going on that's good here. Recruiting base, facilities, recent history of tradition with Spurrier. I think I could win there. That might be better job than some of the other ones out there. But he got that. He got Billy Donovan. Obviously, that was a home run hire when nobody saw that coming. You know who else Jeremy Foley hired during his time as AD at the University of Florida? The Zucker. Ron Zook and Jim McElwain. And Will Muschamp. And Will Muschamp. And you could make an argument those are three of the worst hires that the University of Florida has made in a century. So is Jeremy Foley dumb or is he brilliant? Or is the truth somewhere in the middle, which it usually is for ADs? 
I just bring that up because you're not going to find an, an AD over the last 50 years in that conference that had a better rep than Jeremy Foley. A lot of good things happened in Gainesville under his watch, but he made three football hires that were disastrous. So you just don't know. You just don't, you, you are doing the same, you're running the same formula that everybody else is. And you may think that, you know, when you're, you know, who the hire should be and this, none of these guys truly know they make educated guesses. And that's what South Carolina is going to do. You're going to make an educated guess based on the market, based on what's available, based on who is actually available to you. And then it's a little bit of a roll of the dice and you hope things work out in the next four or five years. And that's where they are. I do think one final point is this is a better situation because I don't think, and again, Vanderbilt's on a different plane. You're not competing with Vanderbilt for your next coach, even if they do make a move. I don't think there's a ton of competition this year. I don't think Auburn fires Gus Malzahn. I don't think LSU fires Orgeron. I don't think Tennessee fires Pruitt. So you might be the only vacancy out there which certainly works to your advantage. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, there's always talk, there's always talk at, at, at Auburn and then at Tennessee, you know, once you start going bad, there's a lot of talk there too. Um, you know, it happened with Dooley and Butch Jones, but uh, it, it, you know, it, 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 it started going bad last year for the Vols, but, you know, he, he turned it around, had a big, big winning streak, and then reality hit. <laughs> it's kind of like after you eat McDonald's, right? That's how I kind of uh, – and I'm going to borrow – I mean, this is – I'm borrowing this from Jim Gaffigan a little bit, but, you know, when you eat McDonald's, it, yeah, it's great, you know. Um, and, and then, you you know, you're, you're down in your Big Mac, a quarter pounder, you're eating those delicious fries. And then about ten minutes later, reality sets in. And I think that's what's happened at Tennessee. They feasted on a bunch of McDonald's level opponents. You know, if they really didn't beat anybody during that big winning streak, they beat South Carolina twice. Those were probably their best. They did beat Indiana uh, in the Gator Bowl, but they had to miraculous, miraculously come back. And, you know, that's actually a, the best win because Indiana's awesome. But that was last year. And then they beat Carolina and Missouri to open this year. And so great, you know, the Vols have won – you know what? Six, two, eight games in a row. I think it was the longest winning streak. And then they go to Athens, Georgia, and in the second half, reality sets in. Those fries become like packing peanuts. Your stomach's churning. You feel like you maybe need to smoke a cigarette, even if you don't smoke. Uh, <laughs> and the and the shake is just like chocolate mucus in your belly. Oh, so really? that's uh, th- that's kind of. And I bought. I stole all that from Jim Gaffigan. But that that's kind of how I. Look at the Tennessee situation. Yeah, they've they've been eating McDonald's too much. <laughs> and uh, McDonald's might look like a you know more like a Five Guys, like a yeah. uh, piece of meat right now. <laughs> he's doing. He inherited the biggest dumpster fire maybe in the history of Power Five at Rutgers, and they're actually competitive. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So it's uh yeah you know you look at Rutgers and that, that's very telling when you when you look at that they they are competitive. They almost beat. I think they almost beat Illinois this weekend. They they were playing them really tough, but they've won some. You know they've won, but yeah. So you look you look at the Tennessee situation. I, I you know and Fulmer gave him an extension right before the season started. So I I, I just don't think 
unless they lose to Vanderbilt this year, and then I think all bets are off. I don't think they'll make a move. I think Auburn will actually win enough games to keep Gus around. I, I quite frankly, Mike, if, if, all, if you ask me what surprises me in the SEC, it's that Gus Malzahn, you know, is still employed by Auburn. Um, and, and I think the, the sole reason he is is sometimes he beats Alabama. <laughs> You know, and Georgia and Georgia. So Remember a couple of years ago when he was as good as gone, yeah. he wins both of those games in miracle fashion and, and Arkansas. Uh, well, I'm talking even more recently than the, you know, the kicks. Oh, oh, you're talking about 2017. Yeah. 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 yeah they, they beat the crud out of Georgia and then they beat right. But and then they beat Alabama by 12 points. Right. And he's as good as gone. I mean, he is as good as gone that year. And what happens? A couple things happen. They somehow inexplicably win both those games. Arkansas just happens to have an opening, and they want Gus to their their prodigal son to come at, come back down. So that gives that gives Gus some leverage, which all these guys and most of them are represented by Jimmy Sexton. If you don't know that name and you're an SEC fan, you want to you, you you better learn that name. Um, and so he's got all this leverage. And so they give him an incredible boost and a buyout that is insane. Um, and you don't sweat sec fan bases. Shouldn't be sweating a $13 million buyout that I'm not here to tell you, this is 2020. That's the price of admission. If you're going to get on this ride, uh, all these coaches have virtually the same power agent and are protecting themselves with these buyouts and schools can't help it. I mean, if they want their guy, you do it. Uh, and then if you're if you're a big time SEC program, you don't sit there and sweat twelve million dollars on the way out, even during these COVID times. Now you might sweat what is Gus's twenty something million if you're Penn State and James Franklin. Hey, I think he's thirty something million. I mean, there are some that are way out there in a different stratosphere. Yeah. But don't you agree with my bigger point about we we get so I hear so much talk about ads these uh, these days. They're not. There's no magic formula. None of these guys are like they're they're none of these guys' reputations are based on this incredible track record of getting it right every time when it comes to football and basketball hires, which are the two that let's be honest, fan bases are most concerned with some places you could add baseball. Uh, find me an AD that's batting even close to a thousand on these things. It's just, it's just not happening. So, so they're all taking educated guesses and that's, what's going to happen at South Carolina. And another year from now, when there's two or three more sec openings, which I predict there will be, those particular ADs are going to make the same educated guesses, hire the same search firm, cross their fingers at night, get on their knees and pray that this one works. That's it. That's all you can do. There, there's no secret formula to this. And, uh, you know, when you're Alabama, you get, you get pick of the litter, right? Although I don't even think they'd get Dabo Sweeney. He's, he's their pick of the litter. He's not leaving Clemson. Um, maybe Texas kind of gets their pick of the litter. How's that working out? Not real I mean, well. Yeah, it, it's even tough for them. I mean, that, that their search after Mac Brown landed on Charlie Strong, um, you know, who was not the first choice for that job. You know, they were able to get Herman. I mean, and I still go back to you know, you want to talk about how how could it work out? You know, check this out, Mike. Look at Florida. Okay, 
first choice for that job last time it was open was Chip Kelly. Mm-hmm. Second choice for that job was Scott Frost. They both turned it right. down and went elsewhere. How yeah. are they doing? How are they doing at Nebraska and UCLA? So meanwhile, you know, you kind of settle for Dan Mullen because he knew the AD who had come over from Mississippi State and he had coached there. And you're like, all right, well, Dan the man, you know, here he comes. And, and now they're one of the best teams in the country. That's an outstanding point. And you know, I, I made it a, a year ago and I should have just made it now in my uh, soliloquy. You're absolutely right. Not only do ADs very often get the guy that doesn't succeed, but they settle, quote unquote, for their third choice. And that's the one that winds up being the most successful. Could anyone argue Dan Mullen is the right guy for that Florida job right now? No. I, I mean, mean perfect hire. I'll but take that's what they wanted. I'll take you back to the men of Troy, dude. I mean, five guys turned down the SC job before former NFL coach Pete Carroll took it. That's right. And that ended up being a hell of a hire. I mean, and then look at the punchline at that time. Yeah, and look at NFL look, failures. Look at tech. Look, all right, so you know, we remember the the Tom Herman deal uh, the next year after the Carolina job came open because he stayed at Houston another year. And we remember LSU offered him that job. He was their number one choice. And, you know, he ended up going to Texas because they parted ways with Charlie after losing to Kansas. And, um, you know, LSU promoted Orgeron. And, we, and, and we, we had the podcast then. We were talking about it. Right. And um, who would have thought then that Ed Orgeron would win a national championship before Tom Herman? Right. Nobody. And it felt like the ultimate settle hire. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is go Tigers. Yeah. I mean, passionate. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I still talk to people at Ole Miss that they, you, you want to give them the chills. You mentioned the Ed Orgeron era in Oxford. They're like, oh, gosh, it was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. But let's face it, the LSU job's a little bit easier. You know, you're, you're set up to succeed more in Baton Rouge. What I always say about one of the number one things that coaches consider when taking a job or not taking a job, the path of least resistance. That's right. That's right. And so coaches know they're hired to be fired and there's certain jobs out there that have a track record of guys getting fired uh, after four or five years. And it's just rinse, wash, repeat. There are other jobs while the pressure is immense, you have more recruiting, you have a, a built-in setup where it's hard not to compete for 10 wins a year. Uh, so just, you know, last thought on, on South Carolina. Uh, look, I, I covered the hire of Holtz and Spurrier, and that was done by the late Mike McGee. Mike McGee also hired Brad Scott, which was an unmitigated disaster. So then he decided, I'm not going to take a chance on the hot coordinator. I'm just going to go for names. Give me names, 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 names. So he hires Holtz, and Holtz had two good years, and then it ended badly. Spurrier, look, Spurrier wanted to get back in the SEC. It's not as if Mike McGee, again, brought him to the best steakhouse. In, they got halls now in Columbia. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, back then, they didn't even have a Roos Chris, so I don't know where he took him. Uh, to eat. But I promise you, Mike McGee was not the most charming guy in the world. He didn't just woo Steve Spurrier. Steve wanted that job. Steve wanted the South Carolina job, regardless of who the AD was. And first five years, you and I were there. Steve Spurrier wasn't winning a ton of games. And a lot of people wanted him fired. Not only were they not winning a ton of games, they weren't even looking good on offense. Well, what do you bring Steve Spurrier in for? It's not for defense. Uh but then all of a sudden in 2010, things started turning around, man. 
uh, the, the, it just started rolling. And then that, that four year stretch turns out to be the best in school history. And then what happens? Well, the, maybe the best crop of uh, high school talent and you follow it as closely as anybody, JC, that came out of there, uh, that well dried up a little bit, you know, Jadavian Clowney's and Marcus Lattimore's and Alshon Jeffries, Stefan Gilmore's, they weren't just growing on trees every year. And at the time, South Carolina was beating Clemson on all those kids. Half of them for, were from Rock Hill. Uh, but you knew that wasn't going to last forever. It, it just it just couldn't, and it didn't. And then the re- recruiting went down, and Steve's never really been a fan of recruiting. And then he left, a quite honestly, a bit of a mess for the next guy who took over. Um, but, my, again, there is no Steve Spurrier out there. You're not getting him. I don't care who your AD is. I don't care if Mike McGee was resurrected and was in charge. You're not getting that a legend on his last leg who has something to prove. And Steve had something to prove, and he did it. So now you 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 get probably you're going younger, and a guy who's on his way up and who has a chance to make a name for himself at South Carolina as opposed to a recycled name. And again, we've talked about some of the candidates already. Uh, that'll continue to to go for the next three, four weeks. And then because of an extra recruiting period in, in December now, the early signing period, you don't want to wait much longer than that. You want to you want to have your guy in place, right? Absolutely. I, I, and, 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 you know, this this, you know, change is, you know, when, when Spurrier resigned, there was, you know, six games uh, left in seven weeks of the season. There's only, you know, three games left and you know, there's always a possibility of a COVID reschedule, uh, especially this weekend, but um, it, it's going to happen quick because of the early signing and, and all that good stuff. I'll say this uh, about the South Carolina job. Uh, I think that you need a coach in there that is going to do more with less. I think that the opinion about that job, because you had Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier take it, the opinion is South Carolina needs a big game, big name uh, to make things happen. Somebody that's one big somewhere else. And while those two guys definitely did win the national championship at Notre Dame and the national championship at Florida, what you have to keep in mind is Steve Spurrier won at Duke. And when Steve Spurrier got to Florida, how many uh, national or SEC championships did they have at that time? Zero. Okay. Uh, so he's more with less. He's built programs. He's won at places that, you know, don't normally win. Same with Lou Holtz. When you look back at his career, he, he took William and Mary to a bowl. Uh, he has one of the best records uh, percentage-wise of any coach in NC State history. And then he won at Minnesota and took them to a bowl, and that was a dumpster fire. Go back to the Joe Morrison era. Joe Morrison went 10-1 and to, at New Mexico before he was hired at South Carolina. And then the guy that kind of got it started that coached the George Rogers team in the 1980s was Jim Carlin, who was a proven winner at West Virginia and Texas tech, which I believe are two peer programs to South Carolina. They kind of have the same deal, same expectations, all that. The guys that have failed are Brad Scott, who spent 11 years under Bobby Bowden at Florida State when Florida State was the top program in the country, and that's the only big place he'd been. And then you look at Will Muschamp. Muschamp's college jobs have been Auburn, Texas, LSU, and the head coach at Florida. 
Mike, since uh, 2000, those two, those four programs have won six national championships and played for eight. Hmm. You know, he, he didn't have a he didn't have like a Mississippi state or an Ole Miss or an Arkansas or a West Virginia or a Texas tech on his resume or a Baylor, you know, or, or, or anything like that coming in, you know? So I, I think beyond the big name, South Carolina needs to find a coach that's got, you know, at least a proven track record of experience at a place where you have to do more with less. And what I mean by that is a place where it's not turnkey solution like Georgia, you know, where, you know, you can win, uh, but it's not as easy as just, you know, rolling into Athens and, and recruiting top five classes and, and the, well, the way we go. It's not like LSU where you can throw a rock and hit four or five-star defensive linemen. It's not like Texas uh, or Southern Cal or any of those places. You know, South Carolina needs somebody that's familiar with that. And I think because of Spurrier's championship at Florida and Holtz's championship at Notre Dame, um, and people don't remember the Morrison era, you know, people get caught up in, well – you need somebody that's done it somewhere else big time. And they don't look below the surface and see, yeah, these guys have done it at big time programs, but they've also done it at programs that uh, don't historically win big. And and so that's, that I think is the most important criteria. You want a more with less guy, a guy with experience, you know, so to where South Carolina can put a plan in place, you know, to maybe be that Wisconsin type of program that overachieves to be that Virginia tech, you know, there's lots of examples of these types of programs across college football, you know, that, that do more with less. You just got to get a guy in there that has experience doing it. That's not trying to recreate Alabama or Florida or whatever. Yeah, there's look, there's a lot more going for uh, the ancillary stuff. There's a lot more going for South Carolina than ever. The facilities have never looked uh, nearly as good. The problem is everybody else in the SEC has been enhancing their facilities. Um, there, there, there's a there's a branding there that wasn't there 20 years ago. Um, all the, all those things are good. There's a number of things that have made that a more attractive job than say it was 20 years ago. But again, you're still in the SEC and you're not getting out. And um, it looks like Florida is ascending to at least close to where they used to be. Georgia's not going anywhere. I don't know what Tennessee is going to be doing. Kentucky is is on solid ground. This is certainly a, a an off year for Stoops and company, but but they're they're solid. And Missouri's typically solid. So, and then if you somehow get out of that division, South Carolina's only done once, then you're going to be a double digit underdog to whoever wins the West. And that's just the reality of the situation. And any coach that's looking at that job knows it. Um, but I I think. Look, there's no reason why that can't be an eight-win program on a consistent basis and at least compete in the East. And I think that there's uh, one one to put a period on it all. I don't know who's going to get the job, but I know one thing. He's going to have a background in offense. You're not going to go back-to-back defensive guys in this in this spot. There's just there's no way that happens. And in most of the top candidates right now that, that they're looking at uh, are offensive guys anyway. So – uh, look for that to be the case as that moves on. I do want to mention uh, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest level in recent history. Home values up in many areas now may be the perfect time to refinance your home, whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments. Who's not looking to do that? Free up some cash for home improvements. Pay off your home faster. One guy can do all of that with one simple phone call. 
It's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank. And I tell you what, I, I this is a guy that I know firsthand. I've used him four times over the last 15 to 20 years, and it's always a move that makes me money. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to do that, right? It's one simple phone call. It's 803-319-1777. 803-319-1777. I've used him in multiple states. Doesn't matter where you're listening to this podcast. Chances are he is uh, registered in that state. Uh, And again, there's a lot of big talk out there. All I can tell you is nobody delivers better results. And he's actually like good to talk to about it. It'll make you understand why he can get you the best rate and the best number. He doesn't do much else in this world. He doesn't make the world a better place. Uh, he, He can't save a program right now. If you hire him as a football coach, he's not a runway model. He's not a great athlete. Uh, I don't know what else, quite frankly, he contributes to society, but here's what I know. He's going to help you save a lot of money. So this could be the uh, nice Christmas present phone call that you make. Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage. Trust the same guy I've trusted for years. 803-319-1777. Somebody that's listening to this podcast is going to write that number, call it, and make a whole lot of money on their new mortgage. Um, there's a number of different places we can go from here, JC. I, I mentioned some of the other programs and, and where they are. You take a look at the SEC this year just to keep it in-house for a moment, and it, it looks like we're on a, an Alabama-Florida collision course for the uh, for the SEC championship, and, and we'll see if, if this year that game is uh, – is a little more competitive than it has been in, in some other years, minus a couple of Georgia games where they uh, led at the half and then, and then squandered it in the, in the second half. What else stands out to you in the SEC this year? You know, I, I, I there's so much talk about Tennessee. I, I think people, they jumped way too early on that bandwagon. Uh, and so you've got a lot of angst in the air in the volunteer state, you know, on, on the Western side, the worst thing that could have happened for Texas A&M was Notre Dame winning that game against Clemson, because now I, I just, I don't know if I see a path. We're not expanding the playoff. We're not backing up the dates. It looks like. And so I don't know how uh, a team that doesn't participate in the sec championship game is able to get in this year. Yeah, I, I think so too. And uh, you know, you look at it and that's the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of what it looks like, you know, and I, you don't look Clemson. I, I, I think they're going to be okay. And quite frankly, I think they're going to, you know, have great success against Notre Dame and Charlotte. Um, you know, this Notre Dame team is playing as good as, as it has in a while. I, I thought they were uh, wholly unimpressive. Um, in, in a lot of games earlier this year, I mean, they struggled to beat Louisville 12 to seven. Um, but Clemson kind of that game against Clemson sort of, you know, woke up the echoes, no pun intended. I mean, as I watched him against Boston college, which is a good football team, you know, folks want to know about a good coach that's out there. It's in his first year, Jeff Halfley at Boston college. I've been on that bandwagon all year. Uh, and Notre Dame just beat them. I mean, there was, there was nothing Boston college could do with these guys, you know, so, so we'll see if one of those other programs picks up a loss. You know, Justin Fuente uh, is is sort of in a little bit of trouble at Virginia Tech. I don't know if they make a move this year. 
but they play Clemson first week of December up in the mountains in Blacksburg with no fans. It's going to kind of be like a, I bet it'll be cold, <laughs> uh, a frozen tundra with, with nobody in the stands. But, uh, you know, that's a potential trip up, you know, especially if Clemson, you know, if Lawrence comes back and he's not as good uh, as he was. Um, you know, Notre Dame has a North Carolina on mm-hmm. its schedule. You know, that could be a trip up. So, so A&M's got to pull against the two ACC teams, uh, I think, to have a chance. Now, do I think A&M is playing as well as – any A&M team in probably, you know, since 2012 when they had Menzel first year in the league. Yes. I think they're, 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 they're legit good Mike because of how good they are on both lines of scrimmage. Uh, Kellen Mond is settled in this year. Uh, He's playing like he should. uh, And they found some receivers and, and, and they're, you know, I don't know that Alabama would want to play them again. I mean, we may see the same result, but um, they're much better than that team that started the season. Uh, and I know you had them against Vandy, and they're much better than, than that group, you know, at the beginning of the year. So, all right, so, so you kind of look at it. And um, I, I think what stands out to me is that the, we've always, us in the SEC, have had questions about the, the air raid offense working in the league. And, you know, and what I mean by the air raid offense is Mike Leach and the way he does it. You know, there's variations all around the country. You know, Lincoln Riley runs a very you know variation. Dana Holgerson, et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking about the, the pure Mike Leach. We're not going to ever run the ball air raid offense. And you know, I, I felt like after the LSU game that I was completely wrong and we were heading into a new era, right? Well, I, I was probably wrong to have that feeling because they're struggling mightily. And they've had some guys opt out. They're a little bit in turmoil. But still, Mississippi State has good receivers, and, and, and they have good players. It's not a player thing. It's just the defensive coaches in this league have had a bad year overall, but they figured out how to scheme that thing up. So that's been surprising to me. Uh, I think LSU being not competitive against certain teams or at least on certain sides of the ball has been a surprise. Um, You know, we want to talk about offense. You know, I'll take you back to last year, Joe Brady at LSU and just what a great year he had. And, and for those, that's not an air raid, what he ran that, that, that has some air raid concepts, but that's different. It's just kind of a big wide open spread. Um, You look at what Lane Kiffin's doing on offense and he's kind of taken Joe Brady's place in the league as a guy that's, you know, uh, quite frankly, an, uh, an offensive guru. Uh, and what I love about it is Mike, he's running different things than he's than he ran at Southern Cal or Alabama. Uh, there's some concepts there that he's run, but he's also taken a lot from the art Bryles coaching tree uh, and his offensive coordinator is Mark Brow's son and Art Brow's son-in-law, and he worked with Kendall at FAU. And, and, and it's almost just like Lane Kiffin has like two big pies, you know. And thanks, Thanksgiving's coming up, so I'll use a food analogy. And you got a pecan, and you are three. Let's go with three. You got pecan, you got pumpkin, you got apple. And Lane Kiffin has a pie plate. And he just takes a couple of slices for pecan couple of slices from the apple, a couple of slices from the pumpkin, puts it all on the plate and has a hell of a pie. And, and, and you can call it 
as good as anything. And and I I I watched the Alabama game. I watched the Kentucky game. I really obviously watched the South Carolina game last week. And, you know, just the, 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 the whole nature of his offense, along with how he's coached Matt Corral, who I didn't think was that good. And then when he threw six interceptions in one game earlier this year, I was like, I told you so you watch Matt Corral, Mike, you know, he's doing the Patrick Mahomes arm adjustment thing and playing tough running over linebackers. You know, that's not something I saw out of that kid when he was being recruited, uh, nor did I see that out of him when uh, Matt Luke was there. So, you know, those are the things around the league I look at. I know the Tennessee situation is disappointing uh, for their fans. Um, and, and I think Jeremy Pruitt's brought it a lot on himself, uh, I, I, you know, not to be critical, but, you know, when, when your quarterback throws two or three pick sixes or two pick sixes, you put the other quarterback in the game and, you know, he throws another pick and then you fire your D-line coach. You know, tell me how that makes sense. <laughs> and, and, you know, the D-line coach may have wanted to be fired, but, you know, I, I think that there's some things going on there uh, that, that if I were Philip Fulmer, they'd be red flags, and I'd feel pretty bad about, um, you know, giving him that extension at the beginning of the year. Uh, yeah, I, I look, I don't think there's – you cannot fire him now. I have, uh, after this year, but, but next year it's, it's, it's going to be a ton of angst from the opening kick uh, throughout. And that's just, uh, that's where we are. And that goes back to the, the, the bigger point of crap shoots on, on these hires. Um, you know, as far as Ole Miss, you mentioned the pie analogy, uh, the, the, the stuffing as in they get stuffed every week is the defense, which is still atrocious. They don't stop the run. They don't stop the pass. They don't really stop much of anything. Um, in a lot of ways, not a ton has changed. I mean, Lane Kiffin has brought an excitement there and we all know Lane's got swag, but they had a bunch of offensive weapons. He inherited, he walked into that job and Matt Luke and that coaching staff deserves a heck of a lot of credit for bringing in some legit wide out running backs and two quarterbacks that could start for most teams in the sec. Remember Plumlee was going to be the guy as a heck of an athlete better athlete than Corral. But as you mentioned, Corral's game has evolved. I mean, he is doing, he's throwing on different planes. He's throwing sidearm. He's, I mean, he is playing at an optimum level. They're finding receivers open in space because it really is a pick your poison trying to defend Ole Miss on offense. I, I think the wake up call to everybody is when they did it to Alabama, it's like, okay, okay. I, it, this is legit. Um, but they're still not stopping anybody on D. So, I mean, I, I, Ole Miss is a fun team to watch. I don't know. I don't know if they're dramatically improved <laughs> this year. Um, they're going to wind up with a similar record and they're going to be heavily flawed on one side of the football. Maybe Lane changes that in recruiting, but again, they were recruiting pretty well under Matt Lou. Uh, you know, and then you look at Mississippi state and I don't, I don't know what's going to happen there. I, I, I just, that was the most celebrated hire of them all of the four in the league. And right now it is the one with the biggest problems. And then you got the two biggest non-plus hires and Eli Drinkwitz uh, and Sam Pittman. And those are looking as good a hires as any. The pit pit boss is killing it, man. Arkansas (laughs) should be, they could be four and two right now. I mean, yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to see them next week. I've got them, uh, at Mizzou on uh, the noon kick on the SEC network. And I'm, 
I'm looking forward to what will be our first interaction. Of course, we don't get to talk to coaches in person this year. We, we just zoom them up like we do this podcast. Um, but I, I mean, he just seems like a likable guy in every aspect and uh, obviously has them believing again, you could have bet a thousand dollars that they would go over under 0.5 wins on the entire <laughs> That's what the line was in Vegas when they, you know, issued the SEC only schedule. Uh, he's done a remarkable job, and Felipe Franks, who I've never been a fan of, is uh, uh, he's playing good, playing good football. He still makes some critical mistakes. The thing about you know what it is with Felipe Franks, and sometimes we have to remind each uh, remind uh, ourselves that we're not dealing with uh, grown men. Felipe Franks in Gainesville was remarkably immature just remarkably immature. Now you listen to him talk and you watch him play and you're like, he's grown up. I mean, he, he now he, like, he realizes I got to grow up. My career hasn't gone the way I thought. I'm not the best thing since sliced bread, but I'm going to show everybody there's still some talent there. And he's, he's played that role. Well, even in a losing effort, a blowout at loss to Florida, I thought he did some good things and he showed the maturity. He wasn't woofing out there and talking trash the opposite. He was uh, embracing his former teammates before and after the game. So g- good for him. Uh, we, we love the, the, the turnaround story. Felipe Franks and Arkansas as a program has been the ultimate turnaround story this year in the SEC. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, th- that there was some talent left on offense uh, they have gotten Franks to give them what they need. There, there's some good receivers they left, and then Rakeem Board at running backs a stud. Uh, and then defensively, I think it's mostly coaching. And and I think what happened against Florida was number one. Florida's in a zone right now, offensively. I mean, when you put up 38 at halftime by halftime on Georgia, you're in yeah. a zone. I mean, th- th- this offense at Florida, even under Urban Meyer, was not rolling like this. It's rolling. As did good you, as it has been since the head ball coach was there. Um, did you see Jordan yes. Rodgers break down some of the plays from that game? Yeah. I, I mean, basically, he was like, Florida's playing checkers. Excuse me, chess. And some, you got some teams playing checkers right now on O. You look at some of the concepts they're doing. Yeah, they got weapons. Um, but they're, they're, they're beating the pants off teams without their best weapon in Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I mean, coaching matters, man. You know, and yeah. uh, and like, look, I, I think I think it hurt Arkansas a little bit in that game that Barry Odom had to be the interim coach because the pit boss had COVID. Um, you know, when when Odom as a D coordinator this year in this league, he's probably had the best year out of all of them. I mean, guess who I mentioned Matt Corral and his six interceptions. Guess who he threw him against? Arkansas. You can tell. And and as talent devoid and, and as many questions as you had on offense with them, Mike, we've talked about the Arkansas defense being bad for a long time. Um, and, and they don't have great players on that side of the ball. Barry Odom is just, you know, he's kind of a genius when it just comes to being a D.C. Uh, and he schemed some folks up. Now, I know they gave up 63 to Florida, so that sounds weird. But I, I've been impressed with what they – I mean, I expected Kendall Browse – with the receivers they have, if he could get something out of Franks um, to, to, to be okay on offense, I expected that. Uh, defense is, is what I've been shocked at with Arkansas and their success story this year. And, you know, and again, getting back to what we talked about hires, 
you know, who's done a better job this year coaching Sam Pittman or Jim Harbaugh. And uh, there's not a person on earth that would have said Jim Harbaugh wasn't a great hire and, and questioned the Sam Pittman hire. That's a beautiful segue uh, to maybe the biggest discussion of the coach and the fan base in East. And we'll get to that in just a second. No road, no problem. Get to where you're going with a truck loan from Founders Federal Credit Union. Prepare for the drive of your life with our low rates and easy application process. Set your budget with our online auto loan calculator or get started right away on your application in Founders Online at foundersfcu.com slash auto. On the move already and looking for a lower payment? Refinance with Founders and lock in your low rate today. Visit relaxjoinfounders.com to see if you qualify for membership. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, compare Competitive rates and exceptional service. Call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. Can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. You and I have been very um, shall I say supportive of Jim Harbaugh, even when there'd be a loss to Ohio state or a loss to a top 10 team. If fans wanted to pile on because I guess everybody thought it would be Michigan's birthright to win national titles. The moment they got their prodigal son, I'm running out of things to defend. You know, I I'm just, I'm running out of ammunition to say that this is working. Jim Harbaugh now is 11 and 16 versus ranked teams. He's two and 12 versus top 10 teams. That's at Michigan. Um, Recruiting doesn't seem to have been a major disappointment, right? They always seem to be in the rankings pretty high. He pulled out all the stops and getting, getting trips lined up to Italy and all this stuff. And uh, it just, it, it seemed like the ultimate no brainer that khaki pants was going to succeed with flying colors in Ann Arbor. And I, I said this a while back, my biggest fear when you get your, your ideal dream candidate and it doesn't work out, that's scary. Now there's, now you've got nightmares at night because <laughs> there's nobody that's going to even come close, excuse me, <laughs> close to the ideal hire as Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. That was just too good to be true. It was a match made in heaven and you can't say, well, it's an NFL guy who couldn't adjust to college. He was successful in college at Stanford. And San Diego, which San is a tough, a tough one double A job, by the way. Yes. Yes. I mean, this guy has been good everywhere. Why wouldn't he be good at his alma mater and a, a perennial top 20 program in Michigan? It just doesn't add up. But for whatever reason, it has not worked. I don't know if. Jim Harbaugh, I, it's still hard for me to see them firing him. This is the problem. When you when you hire somebody who's a former player at your alma mater, it makes it really uncomfortable to make that kind of move. Yeah. But 
I wonder if he just steps down and says, you know, this, 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 this is not worked out the way I wanted it to. I'm out. Or takes an NFL job because the, right. I don't, I don't think the NFL cares that he can beat Michigan state, uh, you know, and, and I still think he is, I, you know, I, 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 sometimes when, when you have great coaches and when that, where they run into trouble, Mike, is they start getting away from who they are. Um, like I think Gus Malzahn at his core is a great coach. I, I think, you know, he's, you know, creative on offense, knows how to hire the right people on defense, you know, really came into the SEC and gave a lot of people problems. Um, I think his his biggest problem is every other year he's hiring an OC, uh, he's delegating the play calling, and he's taking it back. You know, Steve Spurrier ran into that during his later years at South Carolina too. Um, and, and and I think when coaches get away from who they are, that, 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 that ends up being an issue. Chip Kelly at, at UCLA, people want to know, well, why the heck's he struggling? You know, he had one of the most I – mean, like I used to – if I were an SEC football program, let, let's personify that. SEC football program, and I'm lying in bed at night, and I'm thinking about the possibility of Chip Kelly going to LSU or Florida, <laughs> where you got all that speed. Like, you got more speed there than you did at Oregon. I'm sweating. It's a nightmare for me, and I thought I thought he would get the Florida job, quite frankly, and you know, then he went to UCLA. I was like, well, okay, UCLA, this guy's 46 and 7 as a head coach. He's, he's, he's you know, he's a for lack of a better term, a badass. Hmm. So he gets to UCLA and all of a sudden, you know, cause he's been in, in the pros and fell off falling in love with these RPO games and stuff that, that some of the, you know, the pro teams use these days. He's not even running his offense that he ran at Oregon and he's eight and 18. It's like a toothless lion, you know, and, and Jim Harbaugh, if you think back, you know, things weren't quite work. They were working, but not quite working, you know, and he hired a guy named Josh Gaddis who was at Penn state and then at Alabama and Alabama had this big, great offense with Kiffin there. And uh, then Kiffin left. I think Gaddis was the co-coordinator. Always be aware of guys with co-coordinator by their title. If you're expecting them to come and call the whole show. And he, he turned his offense over to him with the idea that Shea Patterson as a dual threat quarterback, they could get more out of him, whatever. Well, Josh Gaddis was never known as a play caller before they got up there. Jim Harbaugh was Jim Harbaugh's very creative play caller. Um, And so he got rid of, you know, like his, you know, what he did best. And so I think that that's, that's the problem is that Jim Harbaugh is not being Jim Harbaugh. When he goes back to the pros, I think Jim Harbaugh's, uh, you know, system will work. So we'll see kind of what what happens moving forward. I guess in closing, uh, big, big playoff picture, you know, we're at the point now that the rankings are going to start coming out every Tuesday. They've already got kind of a, uh, you know, uh, a landscape show every Tuesday talking about what we're looking at. And even in the unpredictable year of COVID, it's the same old song, right? It's Clemson. It's Alabama. Uh, unless somehow Florida pulls off an upset in Atlanta, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio state. We know nobody in the big Ten's competing for that uh, spot against the Buckeyes. 
Uh, yeah, they, they love it. I don't want to sell Indiana's a great story, and I love their coach, and I love everything about that story. Um, but I'm not giving them much of a chance to beat Ohio State. The Big 12, thank you for playing. The Pac-12, thank you for playing. And so then the question becomes who's who's number four, which is the only intrigue left in the playoff each and every year. Um, in a perfect scenario, I would love to see BYU play Cincinnati, and I would love to see the winner of that game have a legitimate shot at playing. Uh, I think I think both those programs have earned the right to at least have a, a chance but I just don't see it. I, I don't see a path. Certainly don't see a path for BYU. Uh, see a very slim path for Cincinnati. Uh, and the idea of Notre Dame going into another playoff and losing by 30 doesn't really intrigue me. So I, I, I wish we would expand. I, this was the perfect year to do it, but I had no hope that, uh, the people that run the sport that always do things at a glacial pace would all of a sudden be expedient in something like this because of COVID. And sure enough, we're not, we're not, they're not getting off that. It's going to be four. We we virtually know who three of them are going to be. I hope I'm wrong. I'd like to see some shakeup and then we'll figure out who the fourth is, but it could be Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, you know, and look, I, I like Alabama. Alabama's the best team in the country, but I'm going to tell you about the Gators, man. If they keep, if they stay in the zone offensively like they are now, you know, because they're like a basketball team that gets red hot from three point range. Hmm. You know, Alabama's defense is good. It's probably a little better than Georgia's, but man, they, they, they Florida will have the opportunity to challenge them in Atlanta. It, it Mike, it, it may be a 56 to 53. SEC. It may look like the Big 12 this year. Um, so so what if let's say Florida takes them to overtime and, and Danny kicks and the Gators win the SEC? Uh, then I think your fourth team is all of a sudden like it was a few years ago, Alabama. Agreed. Uh, yeah. and then you have Ohio State and Clemson in the other semi. So yeah. Yeah. um it uh oh, sake, no one's gonna count Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony and all those cats putting up points against anybody. You're right. I know. And Florida's defense has played better. Better. They have you – know, the game I did, they, they completely dismantled Missouri. Um, I know that that might not sound like much. The same Missouri team that LSU couldn't stop on a single possession. But, um, yeah, I mean, that could be a game. Look, I, I'm not saying it won't be a game. I, but, but clearly Alabama's the most complete – you know, for, none of those Florida players have been – in Atlanta, the game of that magnitude, if, if you believe that. I know one thing, Kyle Trask is unflappable. That kid, and it just goes to show you, you know, in recruiting, you, you just know there was no tape on that kid because he was a backup in high school. So he obviously wasn't going to have a bunch of stars next to his name, but there's nobody that's throwing the ball more accurately than Kyle Trask. You know, he was recruited the same class that uh, they got Franks, and they they actually flipped Franks from LSU. Um, would it have been something if Franks had gone to LSU, and so then Joe Bray, or Joe Burrow does not transfer in? Right. Wow, that it's crazy how these things happen. But but he came in under McElwain, Mike, and and when I evaluated both on film, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I, I think I wrote this somewhere. I wish I could find it. I watched Trask film. And I watched Frank's film, and I was like, for what Jim McElwain wants to do on offense, 
you know, pro style play action, precision passes, Doug Nussmeyer, all that good stuff. This kid's a better choice than Felipe Franks because it's a pro style offense. You know, you, you got to kind of make some checks and play action and, and know where your guys are going. And you, you can't have an erratic arm. Uh, and uh, Franks has a strong arm, but it's erratic. And, and so I, I hate to toot my own horn, but I called it with Kyle Trask. Uh, and then, um, sure enough, Franks gets hurt against Kentucky last year. The Gators are Gators are going down uh, on the bluegrass, and you know, this kid comes in and, and you know just like he showed when the with the film that was available in high school, live arm, accurate passer, and a guy that's going to stand in the pocket and take a hit if he has to, but that's also you know mobile enough to where he can scramble around and, and make that play at the last second. I think he's, I think he's an NFL guy. I mean, I do I high, high level NFL guy. Yeah. I mean, at bare minimum, he, he holds a clipboard for 12 years and makes a whole lot of money as a number two. Uh, at best, he's a guy that lands a starting job somewhere. And I, I've been on this for a decade plus. Uh, there, there is a, a groundswell of people that want to convince you that the future of the game is Lamar Jackson, that all of all the quarterback position is going to completely change where you're running all over the place and doing that. And by the way, if you've watched the Ravens offense this year, if that's the future, I don't want the future. Uh, basically defenses have figured out how to at least bottle them up somewhat defensively from running. And he's completely inaccurate and they have no downfield passing game. Um, you watch Kyle Trask, there's always, always going to be room for guys that aren't the most athletic, that aren't the fastest, that don't run all over the place, but like you said, are completely precise, can make all the throws and are not afraid to stand in the pocket and take a hit and make the throws. You will never convince me that that's going to become a, a dodo board, bird anytime soon. Uh, the game has not changed that much. And a perfect throw still beats perfect coverage. And a guy that can make the perfect throw doesn't have to run all over the place to do it. And you look at the NFL and you look at the last Super Bowl winners, more often than not, they're guys that make those throws. And college football is a little bit different. There's more room for the guy who is the great athlete in high school and runs all over the place. And we've seen that. But even in the college game, Look at Mac Jones at Alabama. Another guy, he's not exactly fleet of foot, but damn, is he accurate. <laughs> you, you have to, you know, the days of the, you know, and you mentioned uh, Plumley, the quarterback at Ole Miss last year. Right. Um, you know, his offensive coordinator was Rich Rodriguez. And, and unless you're Rich Rodriguez, you're not running, you know, the, the, the days of the Pat Whites and, and the guys like that are kind of, Gerald, remember him? You know, yeah, coming to an end, you know, because it's, you know, you have to be able to throw it, you know, and you and you look at like look at Alabama. I'll use them as an example. You know, they've had, um, you know, two guys there, three guys there that were, you know, multi, you know, Tua, Jalen Hurts, uh, and um, oh, before that, Blake Sims, and, and Blake Sims was a good runner, but but why he held on to that job the whole year was because he could throw it and, and make his reads and he was an accurate passer. Um, Jalen hurts, you know, I thought threw it well enough. Um, and then he didn't, 
you know, because Tua came along and, and threw it even better. You, you, it's okay to be mobile. I think everybody, nobody wants a statue in the pocket, but the best quarterbacks these days in college football, really in the pros, you know, they're like Patrick Mahomes. They're athletic enough to where they're not a statue sitting duck, sitting back there. But number one, first and foremost, they are passers. You know, Trevor Lawrence is a good runner, uh, you know, but you're not going to compete with his ability to throw the football. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, Justin Fields is a good runner, but what makes him special is his ability to throw the football. Right. And, uh, and that's just kind of how the games evolved. Um, And, and, you know, we, we, in recruiting, Mike, we always do this dual threat pro style. Uh, Mm -hmm. We almost should abolish that and and just go with quarterback because there really is no dual threat and and pro style. The dual threat guys like they can't throw it, they're going to get it moved. They're going to have to change positions in the NFL. need to move those guys to athlete and just have one quarterback thing because it's, you know, the game right now, you know, you're dead if you can't throw the ball. You know, you are dead in the water if you have a quarterback that struggles to throw the football. No question. No question about it. Uh, quick look at the uh, the games this weekend uh, going on in college football. Any that stand out in your mind? Well, I mean, look, out of respect for Indiana University and the job that Tom <laughs> Allen has done, look, man, Indiana is the worst job in the Big Ten. It's worse than Rutgers because you, you, Rutgers, at least, if you've kind of – play your cards right, you know, like Shiano looks like he's doing. You're at least the State University of New Jersey, which puts out 45 to 70 Division One prospects a year. Indiana puts out like 10. And you're going to have to compete with Notre Dame and Purdue and Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State for those 10. And, and you're, you're the basketball school. So it's it's tough to recruit there. It's tougher than Maryland. Maryland, you can feast on D.C. kids and and go down south and get guys and stuff. Indiana, you know, they're basically signing what they can and and taking, you know, tier three and tier four prospects out of Florida and Georgia and just hitting on them. And they're very well coached, not only on offense, but on defense. You know know what's shocking to me? You know, you look, they won 56-55 against Penn State, 38-21 against Michigan. So, So they go to Michigan State, and I'm like, well, you know, it's at Michigan State, you know, they're due for a letdown. And they just just mashed the Spartans 24 to nothing. Shut them out in their own stadium. You know, so out of respect for Indiana University, I think Indiana-Ohio State's a great game. Uh, if Indiana pulls the upset, you know, are we really going to be talking about the Hoosiers going to the playoff, man? (laughs) But uh, I'm with you. I I think that in the Big Ten this year, nobody's going to be able to keep up with Ohio State. Uh, And quite frankly, I think Wisconsin's a really good football team this year too. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm still looking forward to that Indiana game. Um, You know, we talked about the pit boss earlier in Arkansas. Man, they got LSU. In Fayetteville this weekend, Arkansas is sitting at three and four. I said earlier they should be four and two. I meant four and three. Uh, I mean, like I'm with you. Orgeron's not getting fired this year, but it's going to be telling if Arkansas wins this football game. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just put it that way. The Gators play at Vandy. Just they need to hope that. Uh, you know, the Gators don't score 77. Uh, Mississippi State at Georgia. If Mississippi State would show signs of life, I would think this would be interesting, but they haven't. 
Uh, and then Tennessee, Auburn, uh, you know, we talked about Malzahn and Pruitt both being safe. Uh, I think this game could impact that to the extent of, I think if Pruitt loses it, he's still safe. I think if Malzahn happens to lose this football game, um, it's going to be an issue. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, you know, everybody remembers Tennessee coming down there in Pruitt's first year and upsetting Auburn. And that caused a, a crap storm, you oh, know, because yeah. Tennessee wasn't very good that year. So you lose to the, and then these two teams, a little history for folks, these two teams used to play every year back before they were divisions. So, I mean, they, they, they really, you know, they don't like Auburn. You had Philip Fulmer uh, going into the locker room after Tennessee won two years ago and saying, we don't give a damn about the state of Alabama. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it's not going to play well in War Eagle Nation uh, if Tennessee goes in there and beats them. You know what's in common with these two programs and their fan bases? They despise where they are in the hierarchy of their respective divisions. In their eyes, they should be at the top. Auburn fans believe they should be at the top of the West. Shouldn't have to take a back seat to Alabama. Certainly shouldn't have to take a back seat to A&M or LSU. Uh, and Tennessee still believes this should be 1992, 2001, Phil Fulmer and two of the few years they knocked off Spurrier's Florida teams. They, they, that, they, that fan base still believes they should be in Atlanta. Maybe not every year, but maybe more often than not, maybe three out of five. Uh, and so you, you get two fan bases that are just not happy. <laughs> just doesn't, it, it, it not happy at all where they are right now. Um, in the case of where they're going, I, I don't know. I don't know where Tennessee is going. Uh, that I don't have uh, figured out. And maybe I don't have figured out where Auburn's going either. It's tough to predict either one of those. Yeah. Um, so maybe, you know, you got App State at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina continues to be a great story there uh, on the teal turf. BYU will assassinate North Alabama and approve to 9-0. Cincinnati at UCF, don't count out the Knights in Orlando. They could put, uh, they could kill the dreams of that Cincy program for sure. Uh, if that happens and um, honestly uh, you got Bedlam you got Oklahoma State Oklahoma yeah that's uh, and uh, I don't know that I, something tells me Mike Oklahoma wins that game because I, I, I think Oklahoma sort of righted the ship from earlier this year mm-hmm. yeah um, it's yeah. in Norman too it's in Norman um, but again it's the Big 12 <laughs> going to be left out another playoff 75, 73 suitors. There is that too. Uh, and Liberty is at NC State. Can Liberty, can the Flames and the Hugh Freezes go to 9 0? Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't say that Liberty's going to win, Mike, and I want to because you know how I feel about <laughs> Dave Doran. <laughs> but man, I, I got to give him credit. He hired he hired a coordinator that had struggled elsewhere that people keep hiring or whatever this year. And man, NC State's a surprising five and three. So um, I don't know how that happened. So I, I guess, uh, uh, and they beat FSU 38-22. I thought that would be FSU's only win. So we'll see uh, see what happens in Raleigh. Uh, on Saturday. 
Tell the fine folks, uh, first off, again, we are not missing uh, any great length of time from this point forward. Uh, I, I don't care if we're both COVID positive. We're still doing <laughs> this damn thing. Uh, I've missed it. You've missed it. The people, the American public has missed it. There's been a, yes. a hole in the soul of the American uh, public when we have a little bit of a t- uh, duration between podcasts that is uh, abnormal. So how can they, if they've not already picked up this gem of podcast folklore, how can they do it? Well, you got to go to, you can go to a lot of places, but Apple podcast, that's the primary distribution tool. If you are an iPhone user that might like Mike's not an iPhone user, but I am, um, you go to your podcasting app and look up JC and Morgan. Some of you listen, but don't subscribe. Uh, please hit the subscribe button because, uh, it doesn't cost anything. Nobody's going to charge you anything, but that helps get us ranked in podcasting and stuff like that. Also, you know, go rate the JC and Morgan podcast, preferably five stars and write a little review. Uh, that also helps us kind of get the word out. And look, I mean, you know, all you college football fans out there, I know we got a lot in the SEC and around the country, but if you like the podcast, and you like listening to it, you know, tell your buddies that may listen to podcasts, hey, this is a great college football podcast, uh, and we like JC and Mike, um, because the feedback we get from it, it's always very positive. I think yeah. people, people feel we're fair and entertaining um, and maybe are, are not as uh, – you know, full of hot takes and sausage <laughs> as some of these other people out there. So uh, it, tell your friends, man. I mean, we really, we welcome, we will welcome thousands of, of more uh, listeners. We, we've already got thousands, but we could always use a few thousand more. Absolutely. Continue to grow, continue to expand in, uh, in our space here in college football podcast uh, territory, if you will. JC, enjoyed it. I look forward to being back next week. Uh, I'm off to uh, South CAC for a little Gamecocks in Mizzou action. That'll be interesting. It'll be a, an interim head coach, of course, and, and Mike Bobo. And we certainly, as an announcing crew, will address the, the pink elephant in the room, and that is there's a vacancy and a job search going on there. Uh, hopefully you stay warm in your neck of the woods, as I'm guessing it's going to be frigid in uh, in the midway. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you take care, Mike, and have fun going back to the homeland. All right, sounds good. Uh, for everybody else that uh, tuned in, thank you as always. And for JC, it's Mike saying so long. We'll talk to you next week.